Podcast Express, and we're talking to whoever's listening out there. Welcome to Five Minutes of Trouble, the only podcast on the internet that discusses the John Carpenter film Big Trouble in Little China five minutes at a time. I'm Josh Horowitz from the Wing Kong Exchange. And I'm your co-host, Brett Stillo, still in the passenger seat, still looking out the window. <laughs> there goes an In-N-Out burger. But we have two, yes, two special guests on board the Podcast Express today. And these are our friends from the Airport Minute. We have Jim O'Kane and Mark Cerulli. Welcome, both of you. Howdy. Thanks for having hey, us. Thanks it. for having us. Yeah, oh, it's so great to have you guys on the show. Yeah, this is fantastic. Yeah. Are, are, we, are we your oldest guests now? I think we're... <laughs> <laughs> I know we're about the oldest podcasters, but uh, we, I think we, we remember these, the, uh, this movie coming out when it originally uh, aired. <laughs> so it's well, maybe a rarity nowadays. Well, I'm in the same boat. You know, I, I went to go oh, see yeah. it opening weekend. So, um, you know, it's, it's, we, we can discuss the AARP angle yeah. <laughs> uh, a little later down the line. But, you know, hey, you know, the beauty of podcasting is no one can see you. That's true. Mm-hmm. So you're as young as you feel. Exactly. Exactly. That's it's the fountain of youth that is the podcasting world. So, uh, but yeah, thanks for being on the show, guys. I'm really excited. Yeah, we've been listening to Airport Minute, uh, and it's a it's a great new podcast. Uh, it's a movie that I just had a chance to watch only a <laughs> couple of weeks ago, actually, even though that one's been around since 1970. Uh, you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, it's you know, hopefully with between the two of our podcasts, we'll have a lot of people interested in movies that they haven't, uh, they either never watched or haven't watched in several decades. So uh, <laughs> I'm sure uh, libraries and uh, the back the back catalog of Amazon are probably cooking right now because of these these shows. Well, Big Trouble in Little China is celebrating its 30th anniversary this year, and there seems to be a, a newfound interest in the film, and one of the great things about doing this podcast is that it brings all this great stuff back to light people are going to hopefully get interested in the film again yeah well i mean if the uh we've seen that uh recently at the time of the recording that there's going to be a uh, an airing with uh, one of the cast members james hong is going to make a personal appearance in california uh at a a screening of big trouble so it's great knowing that these, <laughs> these folks are still around and still willing to promote the show yeah that's indeed. right indeed indeed <laughs> Yeah, Uh, but uh, let's go ahead and get started with these minutes. Uh, We are talking about minutes 35 through 40 of Big Trouble in Little China. The minutes start with Jack and Wang about to infiltrate the Wing Kong Exchange to rescue Miao Yin. And they end with Jack telling Rain to come over here and fight like a man. (laughs) And this is the infiltration section of the film. We had a lot of exposition in the last minutes, uh, but now... It's Wang's plan of action to just go in there and try to get Miao Yin back, come hell or high water. And so here and, they go. And a, a, apparently the difficulty in infiltrating is just to walk past the uh, reception desk. That's, that's <laughs> a, a major plan. And, well, this uh, was pre-9-11. It was a lot easier. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah, no metal it's... detectors. Uh, you can just walk in there soaking wet. Not looking like carrying anything. Phone. Carrying an old yeah, phone. That, that's going to work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. These guys are slick. These guys yeah, are slick. Here, I got a pen. I'm an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, here's a question to start out these minutes. So, uh, I guess Jack's trying to prove that he's a telephone repairman. Did they still have that sort of thing in the 1980s? 
Sure. Oh yeah, tell yeah. Sure, yeah. Especially a, de- a business desk phone, which is what he's carrying. That little uh, beige number. Uh, it's interesting that they. Uh, it, I, maybe I'm confused, but uh, it, those look like rotary phones that are on the uh, that are on the desks in front of the guards. They look like a different generation. So <laughs> I don't know if they're keeping the good phones in the back. Um, I'm noticing if as he walks by, um, let's see, 14 seconds into this particular minutes, there's extra buttons on the phone, which would indicate that it's an office phone, not just a regular house phone. Mm-hmm. So uh, he's at least got the right equipment uh, for if he's, if he's going to be replacing. <laughs> if he wants to make a phone call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah this, yeah. this place almost has as many phones as Lincoln International Airport does on an airport. <laughs> Very impressed by their uh, telephony products. There's a there's even a red and a black courtesy phone on the back wall behind the uh, behind the guards there. So uh, oh, yeah, very That's effective telecoming. Yeah, yeah. We'll yeah. actually we'll actually see that in use in a, in a couple of minutes from uh, a certain surprising character. Uh, but but yeah, notice that the set itself is very elaborate. Uh, the mm-hmm. set designer on this one was Mr. John J. Lloyd. We were talking about him quite a bit on previous podcast episodes. And he he shopped a lot of uh, Chinese restaurants. It looks like I uh, <laughs> yeah. I used to go to I used to go to a Chinese restaurant in suburban Philadelphia, and I remember the the those columns there. I I, I distinctly recall very similar columns in the uh, restaurant. My uh, family called the restaurant the uh, Bob Saget. Uh, Chinese restaurant because Bob Saget, being a Philadelphia native, used to go there, and he would give the owner of the uh, the restaurant a, a signed eight by ten, and there were like three or four of them, and the bottom two had Mr. Mr. Chang, please take down the old pictures of me. Thank you, Bob Saget. <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, that column just kind of kicked off a whole bunch of memories of way in my past, uh, but fascinating, fascinating set design. Yeah, very much does look like a Chinese restaurant. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean they they try to try to do their whole thing as as telephone repairmen. Uh, you know they don't really look the part. Jack looks like he's just he's still wearing his Fu Manchu tank, and but it doesn't seem to matter. You know they yeah. just sort of do their fast talking. As and long they, as they you're walking past. around with a phone, you're legit. <laughs> yeah. No tool belts, no equipment right. bags. Hey, I got a phone here. Mm-hmm. And the guards don't say a word. <laughs> It's all in the presentation. That's why. <laughs> well, not not to get too far ahead, but do you think this might be a trap? What? Oh, that the- I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's a movie. Uh, I'm just not to be Admiral Ackmar about it, but you know, yeah. I, I, I think yeah, it might be a trap. <laughs> you know. You know, Lopan said, hey, if, if a guy who looks like Kurt Russell shows up, let him on through. Yeah, Snake Plissken without the eye patch and he'll, yeah, that's him. <laughs> yeah. Double or nothing. Um, yeah. I wonder if Lopan still has little parts of the Pork Chop Express sort of on his clothing from that last encounter. Oh, <laughs> good year tire impression. Uh, are those what? doors are reminiscent of uh, M's office from all the Bond movies, the early Connery level oh. bonds. We have those overstuffed, you know, the, the overstuffed pad. Although this looks like, I don't know, wooden bolts or something. It's very, uh, very unusual yeah. door pattern. Very Dalek like. Yeah. yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, one thing I noticed about this scene as we're getting into it is uh, Wang. That's his name. Yeah, Wang and Jack. In this sequence, 
<laughs> they seem to be on even footing. They're mm-hmm. they're kind of coming in as partners, you know. Up up until this point, you know, Wang has been kind of the sidekick, and Jack has been the you know the hero by default. But I think this is changing. You know, now we see that you know, in, in the scene before this, Wang said, "Hey, I'm ready for this." My mind and spirit are unified again. Mm-hmm. Let's go do this. And now that, you know, they seem like a team, you know, it's, uh, you know, when they go through with the guards, they're both giving them a double talk. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're even, there's even a similar to how they're dressed. You know, they're both wearing the denim jackets that come from the, the John Cougar Mellencamp collection. That's, that's so <laughs> 80s. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, which any telephone repairman worth his salt would be wearing is right. his denim jacket. Of course. <laughs> Company ID? Nah, I don't need it. No, I got my denim jacket, see? I'm yeah. part of the union. Name tag, so, no. What is this, Moscow? Yeah, going through. Uh, he's even got the belt. Uh, Wang has the belt with that metal tip on the uh, the end of the belt that, that kind of hangs out over, over it. That that was an 80s thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, tucked in shirt, big yeah. belt, sure. <laughs> and uh, Kurt's got those big Han Solo boots on, which are just yeah. <laughs> amazing. Yeah, the the moccasins. Uh, yeah, yeah. We, we we see that for the first time, sort of here. Uh, interesting thing about that. I mean, I I've been running a website for years for Big Trouble in Little China, and people would contact me asking about various bits of merchandise or, or clothing items in case they wanted to dress up as Jack Burton. So yeah, people did ask me about that one. I used to know a place that actually sold them. They weren't cheap. They were like. 300 bucks these custom made moccasins you know with the with the laces and everything but it looked just mm. like what they had uh, in the movie how, how are they in water <laughs> i mean we're getting a little ahead but i'm just yeah. thinking wow <laughs> oh, yeah <laughs> well it was raining out that's true yeah so yeah. i guess on the outs if it rains from the outside and it doesn't get above the level of your knees i guess it's okay but just mm. put a hmm pondering so uh they're they they make that turn around the, the corner there and mm. Uh, heaven help me, but I still I'm I'm trying to get rid. Of, I have uh, wallpaper that is made out of that shredded bamboo that's on there. I, ha- I have that very same wallpaper in my den. I'm just trying to knock the '70s out of my house, but I still have that. It has. Is it's it possible charm. there's a secret passage behind there? I'm gonna have to go check. Uh, it could be behind my 20 Buddhas. I'll have to <laughs> see how check behind there. Next to the Chinese letters that say "keep out," right? Yeah. Have you been have you been keeping a boot account? Because I would think that it would be, it would be interesting <laughs> to find out exactly how many of these little guys are around. <laughs> That's what we need to do, Brett. We need to go back through the minutes, count all the Buddhas that we're going to see in this film. There's got to be over a ah. hundred. <laughs> this ah. is, if, you know, if we really want, if our listenership is building, we'll have somebody do that for us. <laughs> yes, write that we'll in. Just say, gee, I wonder how many Buddhas, and you know. How do I get in with these guys? I'll keep the Buddhas frame by frame. <laughs> well, Jim and Mark, I actually I have a copy of the W.D. Richter screenplay, which I've been bringing Ooh. up a couple of times throughout these episodes. And there's a few scenes that weren't mentioned. One of the ones that was part of that for here, Jack and Wang travel through the administrative wing of the Wing Kong Exchange, and Jack notices a manager of the month photo on the wall. And he's looking, he says, oh, this looks familiar. Because it turns out to be the Storm Rain wearing a suit and tie. Oh, okay. Wouldn't, yeah, wouldn't that be for, Force of Nature of the Month? I don't know. Well, <laughs> wow. Uh, that's similar to, I mean, I I love uh, Richter's scripts and things. And that kind of like bumping into the uh, the watermelon with the electrodes and uh, <laughs> yeah. the Buck Robonsai. 
Um, I, I was wondering, I, I really don't know the background of how Richter got involved. He did the adaptation here, but he, was he called in late for a rewrite? Or I, I understand about the Western versus the modern. Mm-hmm. Was that the only reason he was brought in, or is it because that Carpenter needed more of the script punched up? Uh, I, he was brought in by the studio itself. They didn't like oh. the Weinstein Goldman script, and they asked them to change it to a modern day setting. And when they didn't go for it, then Richter was brought in, and, and he did it. But uh, what, what was his relationship with Carpenter? Did they get along? Because it, it, I mean, it seems like Carpenter really filmed this very well, like a Richter styled uh, storyline. It, it seemed like he he didn't have too much of a problem with it, yeah. uh, at least just from what came out on screen. As far as I know, they they got along pretty well. I mean, Brett, did you ever read anything about that? No, no. I mean, you know, the only thing that that comes to mind, you know, going back to minute 15, it did, you know, it's no indication of of tension, but you know, there's the great uh initial dialogue between Jack and Gracie. Yeah. That, you know, you think was scripted. It's very tight, it's very bam bam bam, but then you uh Josh, you said that no, that was improvised. Yeah. Yeah, it sounded kind of Richter-esque. Um I don't yeah. know if you have you ever seen the uh, the movie Late for Dinner? Oh no, no. but I know other. Yeah. Oh yeah, if you get a chance, watch uh, Late for Dinner. It's a great. It's a rom com science fiction. It's along the lines of um, oh, I can't remember. The, there was a movie, the fellow that was in the Mummy, um, the comedic guy. He was George of the Jungle. Um, uh, uh, Brendan, Brendan Fraser. Fraser. Brendan, Brendan Fraser. Fra- Brendan Fraser. He was in a movie where he was like locked in a. Uh, uh, he was in a fallout shelter, and he falls in love with Alicia Silverstone, and it's like he wakes up after. 30, 40 years, and he's in the modern. But it has, it has that, uh, they, they jump, I don't want to spoil too much of the story, but it's two guys that are on the run from the police, and they get captured by a guy who puts them in suspended animation for 30 or 40 years, and this guy has to go back and find his family who have, you know, lived their lives with, lived their life without him, and it's, it's a romantic comedy. But a lot of the interactions between um, Marsha Gay Harden and I can't think of the, I can't think of the other guy, the guy that you, Peter Berg? Peter Some, Berg. Peter Berg, yeah, that. yeah, and uh, it, a lot of that byplay seems a lot like the uh, the thing here between uh, Jack and Gracie. Hmm. Um, but now, now you're telling me that it's improv, so I was like, well, may, well, actually, maybe Richter got the idea from watching this movie, yeah. uh, just the it, that that Howard Hawks kind of thing, you know, that, yeah. that fighting but they're in love, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Or, or you know, who knows? Maybe even though it was improvised, maybe Richter was on the set, and it could have been Carpenter, Richter, Russell, and um, Kim Cattrall. Kim, Kim Cattrall. Yes, sure. Yes. How Three you... Sex in the City. Kim mm-hmm. Cattrall. But was maybe... this was, was this uh, was this before or after Mannequin? I don't remember. This was before, I believe. This was right after oh. Porky's and Police Academy, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, yeah that's right. She Porky's, was in Porky's. There's, a fi- there's a film crying out for a minute treatment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. This is titled The Porky's Minute. <laughs> it kind of makes me want to take a bath. Mm. <laughs> Porky Minute. I don't know. Yeah, the t-shirt sales would be really off. Uh, <laughs> You know, five minutes of porkies? No, that's not going to That might be worse. Five minutes of pork, maybe. Well, well there is the Pork Chop uh, Express. but Yeah, there you go. So we're full circle. <laughs> well, moving along in the minutes, uh, they go downstairs. They continue uh, their act for the security cameras. Uh, and then Jack and Wang have like a little fun moment where uh, they read the Chinese on the wall and... Uh, you know, Wang says, no, no, you know, it's like, oh, what does it say? Oh, you know, it's the uh, hell of boiling oil. And he's like, oh, yeah, you're kidding. No, it says keep out. 
Yeah, yeah. humor. Have, like that. Ha, have you checked the Cantonese on that? I was just wondering if that is actually just saying keep out. I, I did read it on uh, well, using Google Translate. It does say storage room, do not enter. Hmm. Ah. Wow. Yeah. Again, this is Wang. You know, he's he's joking around. He's loose. You know, Wang is changing and he's becoming more of the hero and Jack's kind of not not quite as front and center. They're def like I said, they're definitely kind of equals going down here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and one thing uh, in this sequence, you know, in this cavernous dark area, you know, I don't I don't think we brought up uh, the the DP on this film, the great Mr. Dean Cundy. Mm. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I don't think we've seen if we if we've brought him up, we still haven't said enough because he's you know he's just one of the great uh, uh, directors of photography, and he was just you know he was the guy in the eighties. Um, yeah, and he shot the original Halloween. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is like his maybe fourth or fifth collaboration with uh, with Carpenter, and you know, I mean, part of what made those movies so good is you know the way they looked, the way they were lit, the shadows. Mm-hmm. You know, and this, you know, it's just a little sequence here in this storeroom or cabin or whatever it is, but it's all, it's all shadowy. It's neo-noir. Um, you know, and one thing that makes this movie so great is the look and the lighting. And that's, that's Dean Cundy who, you know, got to start doing B movies. Um, he kind of started at the bottom and worked his way up, you know, he rock and roll high school. He was the DP on that. Oh. Can, can I just interject? I, I interviewed him for the uh, Halloween documentary I did, and uh, we went to his house. Nice. And I wandered into his kitchen, and he had a poster from Hook, and the inscription on it read, To the Master of Light, Stephen. Wow. Science. I thought that was pretty cool. That's super cool. Yep. Very nice man, too. He was really nice. Oh, awesome. Awesome. So, yeah, I've become a big Dean Cundy fan. And, you know, yeah, just he he could do no wrong in the 80s. Just an amazing, amazing filmography. Hmm. Well, we're going to see a lot of his stuff in some of the the later minutes, even during this part near the end. Even that beautiful scene right after where we're looking at the... uh, the hell of boiling oil door uh, when we cut to the next scene it's that classic with the rain coming down and the and the, the neon dragon of the black pool oh, sign. Yeah. it's just beautiful range of uh, you know very dynamic lighting mm-hmm. and uh, the color palette is fantastic so it's just yeah another example and it's and these are all like little two second three second cuts just to do an establishing shot of where they're at mm-hmm. and it tells the story quite well do you notice though that that shot when we see that sign it's sort of has a very 80s sitcom transition I mean, it's almost like you just throw in a wacky, bouncy music cue, and now suddenly you're in there. <laughs> da 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 da. Yeah. Yeah. Or a Seinfeld bass or something. A Seinfeld bass, or you know, did Alan Howarth have a little theme for the for the Blackpool? Da 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 da. Early on, you hear like a sort of two note little Chinese ding ding when you see the dragon of the Blackpool. <laughs> Had some of this in mind. Uh, but yes, now we are in the Dragon of the Black Pool again. Uh, we get a, a little bit that happens between Gracie and Eddie. She does this little karate chop that uh, must have hurt Eddie. You see him nursing his arm for quite a while. How many times do you think they did that? <laughs> it was just a million takes, and so he's got this black and blue arm by the time they did <laughs> Deep vein thrombosis. <laughs> yeah. uh, but we cut then to Egg Shen, and we see him for... Uh, what was originally supposed to be the second time, but this is the third time, uh, the, the first scene that we saw him in in the lawyer's office was actually added later at the 
at the request of the studio. So really, as it was originally filmed, you see the wacky egg in his bus, you know, with the with the tour bus, and now you see him here in the Dragon of the Black Pool, and he's this mystic guy. He's a divination expert, and there he is with his mat, his bones, his coins, and his red peppers. Well, are, are these are nothing. is this is this I Ching or is this just Oracle uh, Oracle bones? I'm, I was wondering. I th- I think it is I Ching, especially because I see he's got the three coins there. And from what yeah. I was reading, that's how you're able to generate the series of hexagrams, which are those six-line symbols that represent things like heaven, earth, thunder, water. And I guess, you know, he's got the bones there, and that's kind of separating out where where everything is going to be. There's a, there's another I mean, there's another type of fortune Chinese fortune telling known as uh, oracle bones, and they're usually the, the shoulder bones of, uh, I think it's... Uh, calves and turtles like oh. and i think those pieces there i think the top part is from a turtle okay. and then those are the shoulder bones from a different it can be from different animals like pigs or uh, sheep or, or cattle oh. um, but i don't i don't know there's like a blend of both I Ching and oracle bones okay um, yeah that's but, interesting i didn't i didn't look that one up but that's that's cool sure yeah you, you learn know. stuff podcasts absolutely <laughs> I only know things that can do no good. Don't worry. So, <laughs> <laughs> just file this away. It'll be fine. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's intriguing. I, my favorite part of this movie is that it it does, uh, you know, it, it's comedy and it's adventure and it's using it's using Asian culture, and, you know, respectfully, but still it doesn't put it at, at a in a back. It's like these are just main characters that are doing things that you might not understand, but they're, you know, they're, they're not, um, they're not Yoda. Like they're doing, they're actually participating in the adventure. They're not, they're not standing away from it. They're explaining what's happening. This is an exposition scene, but they're also, you know, they're also participating in it. It's not, uh, they're actually part of the the script rather than as some kind of a, a sage that you're consulting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's a re- that's a really good point because, you know, in these scenes with egg and uncle Chu, they're talking about all kinds of, you know, mystical arcane stuff, but you know, it's with a couple of beers in front of them and it's, you know, it's, there's plain talking. They're just kind of, yeah, it's, it's regular guys in the neighborhood just talking about in a sense what's going on in the neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. He's they're They're explaining like Eastern philosophy, but from a Western attitude, you know, they've lived, they've lived in San Francisco most of their lives and they're, you know, they're California homeboys and they're just, they, they, mm-hmm. they want to explain, this is what they brought over with them. And, that that line that he had about the salad bar saying that yeah. you know you just take yeah. what you want and you leave the rest and yeah it's uh it's just really great great storytelling and uh it's it's enjoy- and these these two guys are pros that the way that they act you really you're you're invested in the scene you don't think they're reading a script and uh just, and eggs egg little seersucker jack i mean he looks like he's a bit of a carnival barker but he knows <laughs> what he's talking about yeah, no, that that's absolutely right. Uh, it's interesting that you you notice that Jim, uh, the actor who plays Uncle Chu, this guy named Chow Li Chi, he was actually an authority on Taoism in real life. Uh, he had oh, really? founded like the the first Taoist temple or something in Los Angeles, I believe, uh, when we were looking that up before. So yeah, this all comes naturally to him at least, and probably to Victor Wong as well. Yeah, and it, it, they're telling it in a very down to earth manner. I mean, they don't get all mystical, and you're not hearing yeah. you know pan flutes and stuff. It's just Here's the deal, and they're they're laying out basic exposition, but you're take he's taking they're both taking it at a very practical level. So you can say, here's the here are the stakes, here's what we're looking for, and here's what we've got to fight against. Yeah, 
Hmm. Um, and no matter how you know, no matter how crazy the whole thing is going toward a fantasy level, they're just saying, no, you've got to understand this is how it is because we're trying to interpret uh, Eastern events for a Western world, and they both they understand both worlds, so yeah. it's a great little guides to it. Yeah, like in like in one sense, they could be just two members of the Chamber of Commerce, just talking <laughs> yeah. about yeah, what are we going to do about the about Lopan and his company and. <laughs> Yeah, it's very yeah, like you're saying, Jim. It's very straightforward and pragmatic, and you know, eh, I'll just call him the wizard, the neighborhood wizard. Yeah, you'll know what to. <laughs> and looking very closely at the bottles they're drinking, apparently uh, they're drinking Sunlick beer. Uh, I never Sunlick Sunlick beer. I, I looked this one up, and according to the, to the website for that beer, it's the UK's number one draft Chinese beer. Wow. Hmm. I wonder if there's like a three and a four. I just I need to know what the, what the other, <laughs> what the other ones are. I'm gonna be in the UK in a couple of weeks. Oh, you gotta pick up okay. some yeah six yeah, pack I'll, of sun. I'll pick up a six pack. I'll bring it back. <laughs> Don't forget yeah, to bring your uh, your shoulder bones from uh, yeah <laughs> your coins. Just lay, lay it out on the table. Mark mm-hmm. uh, early for Sunlick. <laughs> <laughs> More intensity. Uh, yeah. But uh, back back at the Wing Kong, because we keep switching fast and furiously, uh, now we've gotten to the point where Detective Jack is observing two people dragging a third in this very dusty, cobwebby environment. Uh, I guess that's uh, more testament to, uh, to Mr. Lloyd. Uh, but the question I have is, okay, so he notices all this, but everything's covered up. So how did the bad guys manage to cover everything back up without leaving any extra footprints? Uh um, well, you see, this three is of them didn't fly. <laughs> they were all on wires the whole time. Yeah. Hmm. Thunder doesn't have any wind powers, does he? I, I'm just trying to figure out what could uh, hmm. what could blow things into. Well, if they blew them into place, they'd also wipe out the dust marks on the floor. So, <laughs> this is how you get to be the manager of the month. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you know, you just oh yeah, I know, how, I know how to do this. Whoosh. Magic. So, yeah, I, I do enjoy that uh, Maxwell Smart door in the back there, the painted mm-hmm. on concrete. Mm-hmm. I noticed that too. Mm-hmm. I noticed that too. I was just like, yeah, that is is there is the door going to open, revealing another door? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shouldn't they be pulling know. on a book somewhere? Well, yeah, it's an elevator. Of course, I'm going to get in it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think, I think it may be a trap. Nope. I have yeah. a hunch. A trap. I'm just feeling. It's well. A trap. Uh, they they go, go inside that elevator, and you know the Chinese counting downward is significant because it's a single story building. So the elevator door windows slide shut when they stop. Uh, I guess the first question is how is this being able to be done, and then what's the point of that for the workers? Why would you want to slide what? that shut? Because you want a waterproof elevator. Oh, mm. yeah, good point. Maybe. Not yeah. to give anything away, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I wonder if they're if they are going to fill it with water. Do they have special suits then for the workers who go down there, sort of scuba gear, you know, so they can <laughs> they can place those uh, those upside down sinners that are coming. And do they get on the elevator upside down? I mean, how does that? Or does it? Do they wait for the tide to go out? I'm mean, just wondering what the schedule is for all this. Are there hooks from the ceiling? It doesn't doesn't seem to be. Hmm. So just when do you become an upside down sinner? Do you, when you get to the oh, bottom, man. they flip you over. Uh, there goes those beautiful mm. boots. And uh, he's I, also... I, I was going to say, I, I read that um, Fox rushed this movie into production to get out ahead of The Golden Child. 
Yes, that's true. And yet uh, that actor, James... James Hong? Hong? Yep. Hong? James Hong. He, he, was in, he was in The Golden Child as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he, that must have been awkward. <laughs> he had his foot in both worlds. Well, you know, this I, is something... Oh, what were you going to say? Hate, I didn't hate it. Did you guys see it? Haven't seen it since it came out, so right. it, it is a vague memory. Yeah, um, yeah. And I had an Eddie Murphy story about that uh, a couple episodes back, but uh, you'll just you'll just have to go back to episode five to hear it. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, Mark, this this brings something up because uh, you know Hollywood, yeah, Golden Child, Big Trouble in Little China, and maybe throw in um, You're the Dragon. You know, mm. Hollywood seems to go on those. You know, this kind of movie is getting made over here at Columbia. Oh, okay, we got a script. Do you know? Can you give a little background as to, to how that works? Is it is it Lemmings? Is it a flash flood? I mean, it does seem as though there's a suddenly you see like, yeah, like I don't know, three mummy movies or or you know they well they, they usually try to with... avoid that. Maybe back then they would do it. Now I think if if they got wind of a similar movie that was far ahead in in you know production, I think the other company would probably just just back off. You know, yeah, but in heartbreak for all. But but if they see a movie that is successful, I mean, look at look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and all of a sudden DC rushing twelve or fifteen movies out, getting ready to you know it's we gotta you know, climb on board that bandwagon. Was there a particular uh, Asian adventure movie that would have kicked this off, say a year before? That would be nineteen eighty five or that, four. And maybe that was Year of the Dragon. Okay, so you're the and um, Wang was in Year of the Dragon, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay, so yeah, get that guy. Think he, all three. Think he got picked on in junior high school. <laughs> no, I think all the characters. Well, no, and not when everybody else in town is, you know. That's true. As the name, I'm just trying to. I'm looking at uh, Kim Cattrall uh, about three minute, three and a half minutes in, and I'm trying to figure out if she's wearing a wig. That does look very. Um, We've been looking at Jacqueline Bissett's wig in uh, airport. It's and it the same like, wig. It, it, yeah, <laughs> probably. They were good friends. They washed it out, and there you go. Yeah, but it, I'm just looking at the partner here. It looks very wiggish. Hmm. I'm going to rush to the defense of Miss Cattrall, especially since I forgot her name ten minutes ago, <laughs> and uh, say that that's just you know big hair. It's 1986. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Probably just a hell of a conditioner, and some teasing, <laughs> and I I think that is that's 100% Cattrall there. Okay, I'm just that that part in her hair. It looks like the like the hair start. They, they've crossed, they've crossed over each other. It's kind of a thatch on that on that part. That would be the the clue for me. But who hmm. knows? Yeah. Well, the only thing we we know is that she has uh, contacts for, instead of green eyes, though. That's right. Oh, okay. You know what I like here is, you know, she is enthralled. She's buying into it, whereas Jack goes through the whole movie fighting. You know, no, no, this this can't be happening. Even when yeah. it's happening, yeah, she she buys into it real quick. Okay, so Lopan's a ghost. All right, and you know, you see how engrossed she is, and it's it's making sense to her. And she's more involved in the community. Though. I mean, Jack Jack is a hit and run guy. He you know he drives the pork chop express back and forth, but all he sees is what's getting unloaded. I don't I don't know. I think she's more immersed in the culture and Im- immersed in you know these people should be taken seriously. Yeah, that's, that's right. a good point. That's a good point, but she's so she's uh, she's very ready to accept the fact that I think for her, yeah, like with with what you just said, it's like okay, well that explains a lot about 
Lopan. You know, he's never seen. Um, you know, he's an enigma. And, you know, strange things have been happening. So, yeah, he must be a ghost. Hmm. And I just thought that was interesting, how she's ready to, you know, go along with it. Mm-hmm. In the screenplay, there's even a line where Gracie talks about... Uh, yin and yang when uh, you know there's some discussion about the positive and negative furies and then in the screenplay uncle chu corrects her saying that it's not yin and yang it's called shen and kui the two components of the human soul shen is considered the positive spirit and kui is the negative and then at that hmm. point gracie comments that oh wait egg your last name is shen also and then he says oh well that's just a strange coincidence isn't it <laughs> and they say that lopan is all kui and no shen Wow, so he's kind of the uh, the mirror the mirror universe version. He should have. Well, he does have a goatee, so that all fits. Um, the uh, the good and bad. I mean, in, in this particular universe, yeah. egg being. But what is egg carrying in that scene where they're all they're all seated at the at the table? He seems to, like he's holding chopsticks in his right hand, but in his left hand, it looks like he's holding a bamboo stick. I, I don't know, or a piece of a bamboo. I, I I don't know what that is that he's, or maybe a, a hmm. ginger root. I can't figure out what that particular thing is that's in his hand. Oh well, just one of those bizarre little things. So yeah. strong. Well, Lin- yeah. Linus had his blanket. Yeah. Oh wait, no, actually, I I do. I think I know what it is because they mention how he's smoking a pipe quite a yeah. bit, oh. and I'm looking at it now around three minutes twenty four, and that that could be his pipe maybe. Of course, it's filled with opium. <laughs> maybe I don't know. He's getting all these. And then, and then, let's see, 324. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah, okay. Hmm. Could be. So we uh, we get out of the exposition part, and we're back in uh, Jack and his major plan to take the take the roof off the yes. elevator. Yeah. Yeah, notice so. he sheds his jacket again. Now he's showing his tank top and his guns once more. Yep. And yeah. what guns they were. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Gunny guns. Uh, and that super mullet. That, yeah, that's <laughs> nothing screams 80s. How many times did Goldie Hawn run his run her fingers through that? <laughs> as as far as mullets go, going back to the day, you know, it was, it's a respectable mullet. You know, oh yeah, a, yeah, yeah. It's it's a it, that's a good mullet, you know. Uh, you know, we could we could point out, uh, you know, like Wayne Gretzky, uh, maybe not. Um, <laughs> was it uh, the the football player? Was it Brian Bosworth? Oh. The boss. You know, I was on the Seahawk for a while, and then he did. He he got into action movies, and you okay. know, now that's a mullet, total hair. <laughs> now, and this is a carrier. He he had the mullet in Snake as uh, Snake Plissken, right? I mean, I think I recall. Yeah, I think there's so. a, and I can't think of any movies between say, uh, Escape from New York and The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes. Is there? There's like this dead zone. Uh, that maybe he had movies in there, but I, I don't know what they were, and I just don't know what the conversion because before that, the computer wore tennis shoes. He had a uh, a haircut best described as a uh, Jimmy from that thing you do. He had just that super <laughs> Don Grady swoop of hair. I just was wondering when that change happened, but I I don't recall any movies of his in the say mid to late seventies. I think I think that was a hairstyle known in Hollywood at the time as the Finlater. <laughs> <laughs> Not not blonde enough, not golden god enough. <laughs> Little in joke for you airport minutes fans. Yeah. You'll understand <laughs> it. Yeah. Tune in if you get the tip. He was in the thing. was that before Big Trouble? Oh no. yeah, that was eighty two. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that was more well, he's kind of wearing a hat through most of it, yeah. but kind of like this sort of shaggy, unkempt thing. 
You know mm. what? I rem I remember Russell's hair like in the late seventies and early eighties. Yeah, you know, like in I don't think he had a mullet in Escape from New York. It was that sort of, you know, swept back, parted in the middle. You know, Jeff Bridges had the same haircut about the same time. You know, actually, I think he had that haircut when he was the dude <laughs> in, uh, yeah. in Lebowski. It was, you know, kind of like Harrison Ford's Han Solo mop, you know. Yeah, sort of, uh, yeah just tousled. Yeah. yeah, I think. When, when was Stargate? That was much later. That would be the '90s somewhere. Early '90s, maybe. Yeah. yeah. So he was more military crop cut at that point. The mullet was far gone. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. Patrick hmm. Swayze had officially taken over the mantle of Hollywood mullet at that yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> and I think Fabio would have come after that, right? Yeah, that was like a point three on the um, REO scale. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, but uh, let's see. Uh, we uh, we get a great line by Wang. You know, after he says, uh, you know, you know, at least we know where we stand in deep. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that yeah. great lighting, great lighting where he's got the bic lighter, and they're. I mean, the that scene. It's you know, it's supposed to be lit just by the bic lighter, and it just uh, again that great, the great cinematography there. Um, mm -hmm. Beautiful to watch this movie. You, know, you can watch it with the sound off, which I'm currently doing. Uh, <laughs> just the uh, the the. the general illumination of focusing on uh on the action right Don't in the middle of the screen there that that big lighter kind of leads your eye mm -hmm. yeah good point yeah good this point. really cool sort of top-down camera angle i wonder how cold that water was like they heated it up for kurt or that's a good uh, question it's fresh water you, the way you can tell is the size of the bubbles the bubbles are freshwater bubbles so even though he's saying salt water that's a freshwater tank oh which makes sense <sighs> Wow! Oh, the wow, you know I love he does that uh, that that little weird swim. Oh, they're gross! Ew, <laughs> ew. <laughs> well, what did you think of Jack's reaction to the water? He seems to go through three stages. First, he's got his confusion, then his rage, and then his panic. Yeah, it's like uh, <laughs> <laughs> bargaining and you know uh, grief and anger. So what the hell? <laughs> And then they continue their argument as the water rises. That that's something that has to have happened in other movies before. Yeah. Any idea where this tank was? I mean, was it uh, on the Fox lot, or did they go to Paramount? I don't know where they would shoot this at. Probably the you Fox lot, it. I would think. Yeah, right? I assume it was on the Fox lot. Sea World, I think. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, it's not fresh. It's it, it's fresh water, so it couldn't be couldn't no. be Sea World. Um, but uh, I, I've never been to the Fox lot. I didn't know if they if they have a big tank there, but I would assume they they do. Yeah. But it's a, one of the smallest studios. Hmm. I've been on the lot, and, and compared to Warner Brothers and Paramount, it's teeny. Interesting. I would I would have thought it was comparable in size, but yeah, Paramount has Paramount has that massive outdoor tank. The uh, it's a parking lot most of the year until they're until they're shooting there. But I mean, you could you could film an Esther Williams thing there. It's just gigantic. <clears throat> it takes three days to three days to fill. Wow, wow, that's. Kind of, that's that's kind of interesting, you know. In this age of CGI, it's it's kind of refreshing or reassuring to know that they still have water tanks and they still use them. And yeah, I mean, we there could be an Esther Williams kind of movie made someday. That Greg Greg Luganis biopic that's just waiting. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> the big dive. Mm -hmm. Now, are are these are these Stan Winston? Who did the uh, who did the creatures? Oh, that was Robert yeah. Edlund, right? Robert, oh, it is Robert. Or actually, well, wait a minute. He did the visual effects. No, it, it yeah. may have been Stan Winston. I think it was Baker. Or, or, or was it Rick Baker? Was it Baker? 
I think it was Rick Baker, Baker Monster Maker. Mm. Yeah. That, who uh, Mark? Who did who did uh, the stuff for uh, for how for the Halloween stuff? When did Carpenter was was that his usual go go to guy Baker? Good. I'm trying to think. No, there was somebody else that uh, that did it. I'm looking here. It actually says it's Steve Johnson, who was a special effects artist, uh, along with oh. Richard Edlund. Uh, okay, and they, and they did the uh, the created they created characters for films like Poltergeist Two, Fright Night, and Big Trouble in Little China. Okay. Oh, okay, I can see the Fright Night. Yeah, hmm. that uh, they're gauzy looking. Um, yeah. Great, yeah, great little. Uh, maquette. I forget what they call that. The, the maquette. Maquette. Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're kind of almost a maquette look to them. Hmm. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, impressive. And the coloring is is great. Nice and uh, yeah. washed out and purple and the uh, the gum lines and all the teeth and so I just mm. <laughs> yeah. good decay. Well, that's trademark oh. carpenter. Anytime you get those ghoulies yeah. and skeletons, especially when they start attacking the heroes, that's. You know, yeah, you're in a car grizzly. Yeah. Remember The Fog? The Fog was a great movie. I love The Fog. Hmm. Love The Fog. And, uh, yeah, this is, you know, I love The Hell of the Upside Down Sinners. It's just straight out of an EC comic book. Hmm. Yeah. Real pulpy, you know. As they surface, uh, getting in that, uh, that, that, that lit, that lit, uh, tank top. That that's just fantastic, and it yeah. it carry it carries through the same design as the doors. Remember the doors had bolts on them. Oh, it's the yeah. same bolts that are on the ceiling. Hmm. Yeah, I almost feel like they're surfacing in the Nautilus for a moment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're bouncing the light off the uh, off the surface of the water, so it gets that that ripple effect on the ceiling. Now I'm wondering if that's salt water there, though. It looks. I mean, if you're looking at the suds, the foam that looks like salt water foam. So hmm. I don't know if they've switched to a different location when they're filming this, but. That's salt water. The anytime you watch a, a movie, just look at the bubbles, and if the bubbles are small, it's salt water. Smaller uh, surface uh, tension, so Very you'll have smaller bubbles. In it. Huh. Well, Wang seems to know the place immediately. He's the one who yeah. shouts out the hell of the upside down sinners. Uh, I guess the question here is, who are they? Are those supposed to be real? Are they fake? Uh, you know, is this just happens to be one of these hells that's uh, there at the Wing Kong Exchange? Was it written on the elevator door button? You know, the, the, the elevator button? Hello, <laughs> <laughs> upside down sinners. Oh, shouldn't have pressed yeah. that one. I meant to go to four. <laughs> That's funny. I always, I always assumed that they were, yeah, just people who'd uh, messed with Lopan or maybe they, maybe people who not make employee of the month. I was thinking that there may be like that. That's the hell of a uh, telephone repairman. Yeah, yeah. the previous yeah. telephone <laughs> repairman. Yeah, and you, you know, to me, it's just it, it's just the pulpy comic book world of this movie that, uh, yeah, they don't they're not realistic looking upside down centers. They're more comic booky, but it just yeah, I, I just always assumed uh, they were, like you guys said, former telephone repairmen, <laughs> possibly yeah. also elevator repairmen. How much? How much does Wang know? I mean, he keeps he he keeps dropping in these little nuggets of what things are and and different hells and stuff. But how much does he know of what Egg's talking about? Does he know this guy is Rain? Does he? You know, it's like, oh, look, it's Rain. It's the personification of a force of nature. How learned would he be at this point in in knowing that? I think from just watching the minutes, uh, I think that Wang is pretty savvy on a lot of the Chinese. Uh, stories and you know, mythologies, he chooses not to really believe it too much. 
I don't know if he knew exactly who the storms were. At one point, he he asks one of the Chang Sings, and you know he mentions, "Oh yeah, it was the storms, the three storms." Though in the script, yeah. in the script though, uh, there there's a part where when the storms come down, and it's not done in the movie, where he does mention, "Oh, you know, we got to watch out. There are the storms." Um, but yeah, I, I think it's like bedtime stories. He knows about it, but he doesn't yeah. really believe it. It's uh, it's nice seeing that uh, the the subjective cuts back and forth between you know where where you're, what you're seeing what they're seeing in the water. Uh, I like the way mm-hmm. it 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 jumps. It, it seems to jump into much more subjective than the omniscient view as we're watching these things. But that seems to be extremely um, um, uh, subjective. That you are now a prisoner of uh, of one of the storms. Mm-hmm. I I do like that that angle. And then you get the the reverse shot after that. Then you see what what it looks like from the other side, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good little carpenter bits. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And and then we jump to uh, the final location here before the minutes end. Uh, Jack and Wang are brought to what the script refers to as the Hell of the River of Ashes, which is a chamber where the floor is full of ashes. And here we get that director of photography's uh, you know, really showing off. You get that neat fire, smoke, and, mm. and very dramatic lighting in this room. I mean, it looks like it's a hot place. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and poor Wang's in that Mr. Potter uh, wheelchair <laughs> from 1890. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Potter wheelchair. Yeah. Also, you know, it's a Fox production, so that might be the wheelchair that Richard Whitmark pushed the old lady down in Force of Evil in 1946. Oh, okay, yeah. his career. <laughs> right right <laughs> down the street. that. It just makes for... That is the yeah. same wheelchair that uh, that launched the career of the great Richard Woodmark. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we'd love to check the asset tag on the bottom and find the... Tr- track it back. And where are those... Uh, those uh, vents, the, the HVAC and the roof, are they pumping smoke... <laughs> Across the building, I just was. <laughs> it's. I don't. And what's think it's, with that oversized hat? Yeah, well, he's just trying to be the life of the party. I think. <laughs> yeah, I he's got the lampshade. I am the yeah. god stiffle. Yeah. <laughs> there should be just a little gold chain just hanging down off of one ear. <laughs> click click. Uh, and there's apparently a pressure gauge on one of those, uh, or actually on two of them, on, on, on two of those uh, vents. <laughs> oh, I see the valves, they yeah. Hmm. yeah they don't look Safety like first. Yeah, they don't look capable of carrying, holding any kind of pressure at all. I mean, it's just, you know, just sheet metal. That's <laughs> uh, the case. And yeah. you notice on the floor those little red Nerf balls. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. I mean, we, we see what, uh, what what Rain is actually launching, these these red balls over it. At Jack, but by the number that's on the floor, it sounds like he's been putting up a fight for quite a while. Well, have another nerf. Don't make me get the really hard one. <laughs> we get that line where he says, you know, in his best uh, John Wayne voice, you know, come on over here and fight like a man, complete with the Fonzie A thumbs. Yeah. <laughs> and and full profile mullet. That, yeah. <laughs> he means business. Mm-hmm. And he and apparently the the boots didn't melt, so he's he's still you know protected from the ashes. That uh, that takes us through the five minutes of trouble, guys. Um, wow. Yeah. So we're at the yeah. point now where I guess I can I can ask uh, about your experiences. When was the the first time that you guys saw Big Trouble in Little China? I saw it in uh, let's see. I saw it in 
Arlington, Texas at the Forum 303 Theater. Wow. And uh, then endless t- every <laughs> every four hours on Showtime for the <laughs> following uh, three years, I think. it was. It, this was always in between uh, uh, All the Right Moves and uh, uh, Promises of Seeing Back to the Future. I think it's <laughs> coming soon on Showtime. Um, yeah, it was HBO it, for me. <laughs> it was it was always great to. Uh, uh, it's one of those movies that when you see, you know, you're you're flipping through channels and you say, "Oh, I can watch that," and you wind up watching it through the end. You're like, "Why am I doing this? Right. It's another hour of my life gone, and I gotta." Oh, okay, I'll watch another. You know, uh, I d- I don't recall seeing it lately though. I don't I don't see it that much. I mean, I I enjoy it. I I enjoy uh, Richter movies, and this being part of the whole thing, it's not. I'd say it's number two behind uh, Buckaroo Banzai. I enjoy ah, uh, nice. Banzai the most, and uh, well, and Banzai is kind of tied with Late for Dinner. It's a great if you haven't seen the movie, and most people haven't. I'm sure it's it's out there somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but it, but watch the movie Late for Dinner. It's a it's a very funny. It it has the same um, world sense that that this does. It's just kind of like you, you, these these two guys going through life and a lot of crazy things are happening but they talk to each other as oh this will be normal i guess i can deal with it mm-hmm. and it's just very unreal circumstances but you still have the, the main characters seem to be trying to make make sense of it so it's an enjoyable film but and and it's that's where this this hits me the characters you would you don't identify with these characters but you you love them you care about these yeah. characters you know <laughs> you're you're really uh, you're I, I think the humor comes from the fact that they try to make things normal and poor old Jack tries it by using every single cliche he knows, every movie <laughs> line he can yell out. <laughs> like this isn't gonna do it, pal. Yeah. But yeah, but he's he's a he's a likable guy and he's a a flawed hero. So if anything, his one liners make the situation worse. Like yes. <laughs> one thing I know I would never do in a bar is say, Come over here and fight like a man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like yeah, yeah. You, you know what's going to happen. Yeah, that didn't hurt. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and it's just like uh, in the well, beginning of this five minutes when he says, this is going to take crackerjack timing. Well, you know that's what they're not going to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It, 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 there was a line about he was born ready. <laughs> never yeah. for this at all. Not at all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I I can remember. I'm not sure where it is in this movie. It, uh but the, there's always something where he's like trying to throw a punch, or he he's he's is he swinging an axe? He like misses every time he's doing something. It's not effective. It's just like he's it's always a swing and a miss. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's uh, that's the lovable part about Jack. He's just oh. and you pick actually maybe that's the only projection you can have because we've we've all done the wrong thing. <laughs> we've you know it's like if you put us into the movie, you wouldn't be Han Solo. You'd be the you'd be more like three PO getting dismantled. It's, <laughs> it, and that, that's where Jack Jack is kind of a three PO who thinks he's Han Solo. Uh, nice. But, Nice. And Mark, I understand that you haven't had as much exposure to Big Trouble in Little China. What are your thoughts about this this film? Um, I absolutely love the way it looks and uh, love Kurt Russell. And, uh, you know, I'm going to have to really rewatch it after this. Mm-hmm. Good. Good. It's it's you know, it's definitely a movie that, you know, like I've said the first time I saw it, uh, you know, I had trouble liking it. And, you know, it's just one of those movies you got to watch it a few times and it grows on you. Do you do you spend a lot of time with people who haven't seen the movie and you 
you don't look at the movie, you look at them like, are they liking this? I hope they're liking this. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to say if they don't like this movie. Well, we've kind of found that most guests usually have the same type of opinion having seen this maybe once or twice. They they don't really get it the first time. And then, you know, they go sort of rewatch it, kind of like Big Lebowski or something like that. And then it, it, it starts to, well, like like Brett said, it really starts to grow on you. Yeah. For me, it was a little yeah. different just because I my first exposure to this film was back when I was 10 years old. And I, I guess I didn't know any better. I just thought it was hilarious and it had great action and everything. But when I showed it to my wife for the first time, yeah, she didn't really get it. And then we watched yeah. it again you know, a couple of months later. And, and then it you know, got a little bit more more entertaining that time. Wow. Uh, yeah, it, it, uh, my family has a, uh, well, my, my kids have a thing with the movie mystery men. They all love the movie mystery men. And one of the, one of the things when, uh, when some of them weren't married, they would check out their boyfriends or girlfriends by bring, you know, have you seen mystery men? No. Okay. Well, we're going to watch mystery men and see how they react to the mystery. Men. <laughs> <laughs> if they understood the jokes in it, then it was like, yeah. Oh, you're okay. But then, you know, uh, it's a, a scary barometer, but my children are affected too much by movies. But this, I could see this movie as being a barometer for how you can judge somebody's sense of humor. It, it's, uh, it's wacky. It's not, it, it's not following along expected lines. But if you, if you get into the mood for it, I mean, it, it is a great popcorn movie. And if you're in the right mood for it, is it's just, it's as enjoyable as any other movie out there. Um, so hopefully, people listening to your podcast will check it out one of the better things of this movie and, and most Richter movies is there's so many other paths. I mean, you're looking down corridors and, and other things going on and you're saying, what's going on there? And then they just never get back to it. And you're like, I wonder what that was all about. And what was the deal with like, you know, the, uh, the room with all, you know, all these different yeah. Buddhists and what is that all about? They never explain it, but that's nice. It's a little mystery. And you're like, oh, that's, this is a whole story behind that too. Probably. No matter where you go. Yeah. You are. You are. <laughs> <laughs> um kind of goes without saying yeah that i i'll just my last words is yeah it's you know we're definitely in the richterverse and uh yeah i'd like to think that that jack burton and buckaroo bonsai might actually you know encounter each other hmm. um here's one for you in in buckaroo bonsai when he uh when he steals the motorcycle from the back of the semi truck that truck was written, driven by jack oh Ooh. There we hmm. go. There's your tie-in. So they. I I was hoping that that Jack would try to like after as he drove away, uh, he got he got away from everything and dyed his hair and became perfect Tommy. Well, that's uh, good. <laughs> that works. That works. I can see I can see him being one of the Hong Kong Cavaliers. Maybe not a leader, but just you know, in the back there playing the bass. Uh, he he could drive World Watch One. Yes. Yeah. Which <laughs> that oh yes okay there he is yeah the there bus we go. driver. So, so yeah, then we're laying the groundwork for the for the bonsai minute, which uh, I guess we'll talk about sometime in 2017 with all our other <laughs> hundreds of podcasts we have. <laughs> yeah, next year. yeah, no, that, I would definitely, but only if you uh, call all the uh, all the guests. If you start calling them uh, Peggy, <laughs> <laughs> let them correct you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, nice. Peggy. Nice. Well, uh, Jim and Mark, thank you very much for, for taking the time to come on to our podcast. Uh, everybody needs to make sure that they go over to the Airport Minute and check out that awesome podcast. Uh, it's a great film, and Jim and Mark are very entertaining. They have a lot of very cool stuff to talk about on that on that film. Uh, Absolutely. So, so yeah, check, Absolutely. check them cool. out, airportminute.com. 
Thanks so much. Thank I appreciate you. it. Thank you for the plug and thanks for having us. Absolutely. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And thank you. Great having you guys. It's been yeah. a blast. And for the rest of you guys, please visit us at five minutes of trouble.com. We're on Twitter at five minutes trouble. You can also check us out on Facebook at five minutes of trouble. And we have a listener society called the five minutes of trouble truck stop. So be sure to join that and join the conversation about our podcast and about big trouble, little China. Also, please tell your friends about this podcast. Uh, give us a nice rating on iTunes if you can. We really appreciate it. Also wanted to give a shout out to our friends over at the Star Wars Minute, the originators of the Movies by Minute format. They're going to be starting out their new season in a couple of months for Attack of the Clones, so be sure to check them out. And that's about it. Any last words, guys? No, thanks again for having us. It's been a Good lot night. of fun. <laughs> All right, well, this is the Podcast Express signing off. Tune in next week for another five minutes of trouble.